Before we begin, I want to point out that we're going to be talking about some very serious subject matter in this episode, including mentions of suicide. On today's episode of Based on a True Story, we're going to compare history with the 2017 movie, Loving Vincent. If you've seen our movie today, you'll know how it stands apart from, well, every single other movie. You see, Loving Vincent is the very first full-length feature film to be made up entirely of oil paintings. At the helm behind this crazy idea were co-directors Dorota Cobiella and Hugh Welchman. In an interview with BBC after the movie was released, Welchman explained, quote, We were told many times by film financiers, by people in the animation industry, that this was a crazy undertaking, and also an impossible undertaking. When you start to break it down, it's just a matter of how many painters you can find, and if you can find enough painters at the quality level we needed, end quote. And they did. In fact, the very first line of text we see in the movie explains that there were over 100 artists who teamed up to hand paint the entire film. It seemed a lot of sources can't really agree on the exact number of paintings used. Some said there were over 40,000, while others said that there were some 65,000 or 67,000 oil paintings. No matter how you look at it, though, there were a crazy amount of oil paintings that were created to make the movie. So even if you haven't seen the movie, of course, we'll have some spoilers in this episode since we'll be walking through the movie's pivotal plot points, but even still, it's worth taking the time to watch the movie to see for yourself how amazing the movie is purely as a work of art. But then there's the story. The two co-directors also wrote the film along with Yatek Darnell. Ultimately, the movie is a biopic for the renowned artist Vincent van Gogh. That's why all the oil paintings throughout the movie are done in van Gogh's unmistakable style. So, let's take some time to learn more about Vincent van Gogh as we dig into his life and the suspicions around his untimely death comparing history with loving Vincent. I'm Dan Lefebvre, and this is based on a true story. Before starting our story today, we need to set up our game, Two Truths and a Lie. Here's how it works. I'm about to give you three facts. Two of them are true, which means one is an all-out lie. Your task throughout this episode is to find out which one is the lie. Are you ready? Okay, here they are. Number one. Vincent had more siblings than Theo. Number two, Vincent stopped painting for the last few years of his life. Number three, Vincent claimed to have shot himself. Got him? Okay, now as you're listening to our story today, keep your ears peeled because somewhere throughout the episode I'll mention the two facts and those are the true facts. And then, by a simple process of elimination, you'll know which one is a lie. And of course, we'll do a recap at the end of the episode to see how well you did. Alright, now let's begin our dive into the true story behind the movie, Loving Vincent. 
Our movie today opens with a blurb in the newspaper. It says, Auver Sirwaz. On Sunday, July 27th, one Van Gogh, age 37, Dutch painter staying at Auver, shot himself with a revolver in the fields, but being only wounded returned to his room where he died two days later. Sadly, that report is true. And it's pretty self-explanatory, although I think it's worth pointing out the year because the movie doesn't do that. The fatal gunshot took place on July 27, 1890, and Vincent died two days later on July 29th. The next line of text in the movie explains that the events in the movie took place one year after Vincent van Gogh's death. And it starts in Arles in the year 1891. After the opening credits, we see the movie's main character, a man named Armand Roulin. He's voiced by Douglas Booth. Armand picks a fight with someone in a bar. A policeman comes to investigate and hands something back to Armand. It seemed that he dropped a letter that he had on him. But Armand insists that it's not his letter, it's Vincent van Gogh's letter. Addressed to Theo, Vincent's brother. This leads into a conversation with the woman in the bar who overhears Vincent's name. Apparently she knew Vincent and said the man was mad. The policeman then returns his own opinion about Vincent. No, he wasn't mad, the policeman says. He was... he was interesting. He goes on to say Vincent only got strange when his friend Goging came. As the policeman is talking, the movie shifts to a black-and-white flashback... The scene is at, as the policeman says, his yellow house. According to the movie here, Vincent and Gogan are wanting to set up Vincent's home to be an incubator for painters. Initially, it starts off enthusiastically, but quickly turns to the two men being at each other's throats. Then, the movie shows a shot of Vincent walking up to a woman in a bar, handing her a napkin. She opens it to, to find an ear. Vincent's ear. Apparently, he cut off his own ear and handed it to the woman. The movie doesn't give a lot more context than that, so let's stop the movie's timeline here because we've got a lot to cover already. Starting with Armand Roulin, he was a very real person, and just like Vincent van Gogh, the Roulin family lived in Arles, France, in 1881. Although, one thing the movie doesn't really mention is that Vincent and Armand knew each other. In fact, They were neighbors. That yellow house the movie mentions was right next door to the Roulin family home. It's also worth pointing out that Armand was only 16 at the time, so the movie's probably a little more accurate that if Vincent knew any of the Roulin family, it was probably Armand's father, Charles, more than Armand himself. But Vincent described Armand in a letter to his brother on December 1st, 1881. I have done the portraits of a whole family, that of the postman whose head I did earlier, husband, wife, baby, the young boy, and the 16-year-old son, all of them characters and very French, though they look Russian. That painting of Armand that Vincent did served as the inspiration for the look of the character that we see in the movie, the yellow jacket and all. And speaking of the letter from Vincent to Theo, that print... Actually, real quick, let me mention the pronunciation of Theo. You see, the movie pronounces it Theo. Well, in my research, I found that a lot of other people pronounce it Theo. 
but since the movie says Theo, that's what I'm going to use for this episode. Where was I? Oh, that's right. Vincent's letter to Theo. As you can probably guess, Theo van Gogh was indeed really the brother of Vincent. The movie talks very briefly about Vincent's family a little later in the movie, but since we're on the topic, Theo was not Vincent's only brother. The movie was correct to mention that the first child born to Vincent's parents, Theodorus and Anna, was another baby boy they named Vincent. Of course, as the firstborn, it's not like they planned on having two children with the same name, but the name Vincent was a common one in their family, shared by Theodorus's own father, so when they had their first child, they named him Vincent. Sadly, little Vincent was stillborn. That was in 1852. One year later, Theodorus and Anna had another baby boy. In honor of the child they lost, and also for Theodorus's father, this new baby boy was also given the name Vincent. The weather is getting nicer, which means now is the perfect time to plan ahead for summer fun. Personally, I'm hoping to be able to visit my family this summer, and that means booking flights as soon as possible before the prices go up. And now you can help ensure your money is there when you need it with today's sponsor, Earn In. Just download the Earn In app, verify your paycheck, and watch your earnings tick up as you work. Access up to $100 a day and up to $750 per pay period so you can start making your summer plans now. It's free and easy to get started. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earn In. Four years later, in 1857, Theo was born. Well, his name was Theodorus, just like his father, but everybody calls him Theo. But Vincent and Theo were not the only children. Anna was born in 1855. Elizabeth was born in 1859. Wilhelmine, or sometimes called Wilhelmina, they really called her Will in the family, was born in 1862. And the youngest in the family was a boy born in 1867, Cornelis, or Cor, as everybody called him. None of the other Van Gogh children are in the movie, and perhaps there's a reason for that. After all, it was very true that Vincent was closest with Theo. He was his closest friend, his confidant, and, not to get too far ahead of our story, but it was Theo who helped financially support his older brother for much of their adult lives. After all, Vincent Van Gogh didn't sell many paintings during his lifetime. It was more common for Vincent to trade paintings for food or his painting supplies than it was for him to sell them for money. Today, his paintings are some of the most valuable pieces of art in the world, but Vincent's tragic life was the epitome of a starving artist. He was broke for most of his life and unappreciated in his time. That brings us to the man briefly mentioned by the policeman in the bar in the movie. In the movie, the character is simply named Gogan. That was his last name, albeit spelled slightly differently, thanks to language differences. 
Paul Gauguin was an artist who befriended the two Van Gogh brothers when they both lived in Paris in 1887. But then, in early 1888, Vincent was growing increasingly sick, probably because of all the smoking and drinking that he did, and decided to move out of the city to Arles. It was here that he continued to paint, and many historians believe he had the intention of starting a sort of an art colony there. That make the implications that we see in the movie to be correct, although it's also worth pointing out, well, there's just a lot we don't know. I've mentioned the letters between Theo and Vincent, and quite honestly, it's those letters that are the only reason we know a lot about Vincent. For his part, Theo was a bit of a hoarder. He saved all sorts of paperwork, including the letters from his beloved brother. On the other hand, Vincent hardly saved any of his. And because he wasn't famous during his lifetime, the letters serve as the most documentation we have on the events in their lives. My point in mentioning this is just to lay the groundwork that there's a lot of things we don't know for absolute certain about the events surrounding Vincent's life. One great example of that is something we see in the opening moments of the movie, where we see Vincent handing a napkin to a woman with his ear in it. As the story goes, on December 23, 1888, at roughly 11.30 p.m. or so, Vincent walked into a brothel in Arles, cut off his ear with a razor blade, wrapped it in a cloth, and handed it to a prostitute named Rachel. Although many decades later, historians would make an amendment to the story that the woman named Rachel was actually named Gabrielle and was the daughter of a local farmer. When she saw the bloody ear, she fainted and Vincent ran off. Why would he do this? That's a very good question. The truth is, we just don't know for sure. We don't even know if he cut his whole ear off. The police at the time who arrived on the scene reported that he cut off the entire exterior of his left ear. Others close to Vincent who were there in the aftermath of his recovery, after nearly bleeding to death, later said that he only cut off the lobe. Beyond that, there's been a lot of speculation and many historians have come up with explanations for why he would do that. The two versions of this that I think are the most plausible both circle around one very important fact that we've touched on very briefly. Vincent van Gogh wasn't well. Not just physically, though. Vincent suffered from mental illnesses, too. But we'll chat about that here in a moment. One explanation for why he might have cut off his ear that people have thrown out there was because of Paul Gauguin. Basically, As the friendship between Vincent and Paul soured, the stress levels rose. Then Paul told Vincent that he was moving out. As I mentioned earlier, Vincent was broke for most of his life. At that time, he was rooming with Paul in the yellow house. All of a sudden, Vincent would have faced the possibility of losing his roommate. Would that affect the roof over his head as well? The food on the table? Maybe. So that's one possible explanation for something that could have caused him to go into a state of mind that ended with losing his ear. The other possible explanation is similar, but has to do with his brother Theo. Something else happening around this time was Theo's engagement to a woman he'd fallen in love with. Up until that point in Theo's life, it was Vincent who took up the entirety of Theo's emotional and financial investment. With Theo getting married and starting a family, again, Vincent was faced with the possibility of losing his brother. 
not in a literal way, but obviously Theo's priorities would change. He'd have a new emotional and financial priorities with the new family. So this version suggests that Theo's new family could have been the straw that threw Vincent into the state of mind where he'd cut off his own ear. In the end, we don't really know, and there are more theories out there. Those are just a couple. Speaking of Vincent's state of mind, unfortunately, the science of the time just didn't know a lot about mental health concerns during his lifetime. So most of the diagnoses for Vincent van Gogh have been done long after he died. As you can imagine, the truth is a matter of debate, since there's so much we don't know for sure. But many sources suggest that Vincent most likely suffered from bipolar disorder. To make matters worse, ever since Vincent was young, he was very physically active. Out of That was really out of necessity due to well, not having much money. Vincent walked a lot. That by itself isn't bad, of course. Exercise is good, but he also didn't eat much. For example, there's one story where Vincent was having a lonely evening, and then he happened upon a dog in the streets of The Hague on the western coast of the Netherlands. He went to a nearby bakery and took what little money he could spare to buy some bread for the dog. Then, when the dog appeared to scarf that down and still be hungry, he went back to the bakery to spend all the rest of his money to get even more. That left nothing for him. Yet another night without a meal for Vincent, and yet another skipped meal that he didn't seem to care that he missed. On top of that, he drank more often than most, but his most common pleasure was smoking a tobacco pipe. Most doctors who have tried to diagnose Vincent after his death have said that whatever Vincent suffered from was made much worse by the drinking, the smoking, and the overall lack of nutrition. With each passing day, it got a little worse. Going back to the movie, using the excuse of delivering the final letter from Vincent to Theo, Armand embarks on a journey of people who know about the brothers. He learns right away that Theo van Gogh passed away six months after Vincent did. Sadly, that's true. Vincent died on July 29, 1890. Like his brother, Theo's physical health was never great throughout most of his life. After Vincent died, Theo was devastated. Understandably, he was, he was heartbroken. This impacted Theo's health. It spiraled down. After being hospitalized in November of 1890, Theo died on January 25th, 1891. Back in the movie, one of the key people that Armand Roulin talks to is someone named Dr. Gachet. According to the movie, he's the doctor who tended to Vincent before and during the time that he was shot. The story the movie lays out is that Vincent checked himself into Saint-Rémy. After a period of time, the movie doesn't indicate he checks himself out, with a letter suggesting that he was, quote-unquote, perfectly calm. Then, six weeks later, he walked into a field near Auvers to paint one day and shot himself in the chest. But he didn't die. Instead, he stumbled back to town and ended up dying two days later. After laying out that story, the movie starts to poke holes in the official story. It asks questions like, how could someone go from being perfectly calm to suicidal in six weeks? 
Or how could someone shoot themselves in the chest at an angle that Vincent claimed to? The basic idea here that the movie is building up to is the possibility that maybe Vincent did not commit suicide. Maybe he was shot and simply didn't want anyone else to be charged. The truth is, well, we just don't know. The questions the movie surfaces are exactly the sort of questions that historians and art lovers around the world have tried to answer ever since Vincent's death in 1890. So realistically, there's no way that I could hope to magically have the answer in this episode. With that said, though, let's lay out the things that we do know so you can come up with your own conclusion about what might have happened in Vincent's final days. As we learned earlier, Vincent's mental health was in a near-constant state of deterioration. While Vincent was living in Arles, between the situation with Paul Gauguin and his brother getting married and the ongoing battles with mental health, Vincent was pressured to take care of himself by checking into a hospital. So in early 1889, he did exactly that. That was, like the movie says, at a psychiatric hospital in Saint-Rémy, France. That's roughly 16 miles, or about 26 kilometers from Arles. Theo paid for the costs of the hospital. The letter the movie's referring to came from the doctor who treated Vincent at the hospital. It was sent to Vincent's brother Theo and dated May 26, 1889. Here is that letter. San Remy, May 26, 1889. Sir, In answer to your letter of the 23rd, I have the satisfaction of telling you that Mr. Vincent has been perfectly calm since his entry into the house, and that every day he observes that his health improves. In the beginning, he was subject to distressing nightmares which troubled him, but he observes that these distressing dreams have tended to disappear and decrease in intensity, resulting in a more restful and restorative sleep for him. He also has a better appetite. In short, since his entry, he has made a slight improvement in his state, and this makes him hope for a complete recovery in the future. He is occupied all day drawing in the park, where he is now. But since I see he is perfectly calm, I promised him that I would allow him to go to different points of view outside the establishment. You ask me for my opinion on the likely course of his malady. I must tell you that I reserve my prognosis for the moment, but I am afraid it is serious, because I have reason to believe that the attack that he had was caused by an epileptic condition, and if this is confirmed, it will be necessary to be concerned for the future. I intend to go to Paris during the month of June. I will have the honor of seeing you and better acquaint you about your patient than one can do by letter. Sincerely yours, Dr. T.H. So, yes, the doctor said that Vincent was perfectly calm, but he also said that his prognosis, quote, is serious, end quote. Sadly, if things did get better for Vincent, it wasn't for much longer. As we learned earlier, Theo got engaged in early 1889. Then, in April of 1889, Theo married Joanna Bonguerre, Most people just called her Joe. In May, Vincent checked into the hospital. For the next few months, Vincent dealt with some serious bouts of depression. 
He'd be fine for a month. Then he'd go through serious depression for a month. He'd be fine for a couple months. Then he'd dip into a deep depression for a couple months. Vincent was at the hospital for about a year. He checked out in May of 1890. It was while he was at the hospital that Vincent painted some of his most famous works of art, including my personal favorite, Starry Night. Of course, those didn't become famous until after his death. His immediate destination after leaving the hospital was to stay with his brother and his new sister-in-law. So he traveled to Paris to stay with them for a short period of time, just a few days, before he found a place on the north side of Paris. That would be Auvers, sir was. It was while in Auvers that Vincent continued to paint and write letters to Theo. Amid discussions of what paintings he was currently working on, the letters themselves would paint a picture of how much Vincent was still suffering. For example, in a letter dated May 24, 1890, Vincent wrote this to Theo and Joe. Myself, all I can do at the moment is say that I think that we all need some rest. I feel a failure. That's it as regards me. I feel that that's the fate I'm accepting, and which won't change anymore. But one more reason, setting aside all ambition, we can live together for years without ruining ourselves on either side. You see that the canvases that are still in San Remy, there are at least eight of them, and with the four from here, I'm trying not to lose my touch. That, though, is the absolute truth. It's difficult to acquire a certain facility of production, and by ceasing to work, I would lose it much more quickly more easily than it cost me in troubles to acquire it. And the prospect darkens. I don't see a happy future at all. In the movie, one of the people interviewed by Armand Rulin is the innkeeper's daughter who was there when Vincent stayed at the inn. Her name is Adeline Roveau, and she was a real person. She was only 13 years old in July of 1890, but it wasn't until she was in her 70s that she wrote what is probably the most detailed account of the final moments of Vincent van Gogh's life. According to her, Vincent left the inn on the morning of July 27th. That was perfectly normal, as Vincent would often spend the entire day painting a landscape, sky, river, or whatever else he was working on at the moment. But he always returned as the sky turned dark. This time, he didn't. Adeline recalled that they started to worry about him until, around 9 p.m., Vincent returned. He was clutching his stomach. When Adeline's mom saw Vincent holding his stomach, she asked if something was wrong. He replied, No, but I, but I have... Then he trailed off as he climbed up the stairs with much difficulty to get to the room he was staying in. Adeline's dad went to check on Vincent and found him lying on his bed, groaning. At first, he thought Vincent was ill. But then Vincent showed him the wound, a gunshot to the chest. Vincent said he tried to kill himself. According to this version of the story, Vincent said he was in a wheat field painting when he shot himself with a revolver. 
He passed out from the wound, only coming to when the evening started to cool down. But then, in the darkness, he couldn't find the revolver to finish what he had started, so he stumbled back to the inn. Hearing this, the innkeepers immediately sent word to Dr. Gachet, who was Vincent's doctor. He came and dressed the wound, but didn't do much else. He was said to have claimed there wasn't much more he could do. It was hopeless. The next morning, messages were sent to the police as well as a telegram to Theo. Police asked Vincent about the shooting, to which he replied, My body is mine, and I am free to do what I want with it. Do not accuse anybody. It is I that wished to commit suicide. Theo was quick to arrive by train, getting there that same afternoon. He stayed by his brother's bed for what would be the rest of his life. That night, Vincent slipped into a coma and died. Officially, his death certificate is at 1.30 a.m. on July 29, 1890. We don't know exactly what happened that day. We don't know what Vincent's final moments were like exactly. Probably some of the best insight we'll ever get into Vincent's final moments came from a letter that Theo wrote to Elizabeth, his sister, dated August 5th, 1890. To say we must be grateful that he rests, I still hesitate to do so. Maybe I should call it one of the great cruelties of life on this earth, and maybe we should count him among the martyrs who died with a smile on their face. He did not wish to stay alive, and his mind was so calm because he had always fought for his convictions, convictions that he had measured against the best and noblest of his predecessors. His love for his father, for the gospel, for the poor and the unhappy, for the great men of literature and painting— is enough proof for that. In the last letter which he wrote me, and which dates from some four days before his death, it says, quote, I try to do as well as certain painters whom I have greatly loved and admired. End quote. People should realize that he was a great artist, something which often coincides with being a great human being. In the course of time, this will surely be acknowledged, and many will regret his early death. He himself wanted to die. When I sat at his bedside and said that we would try to get him better, and that we hoped that he would then be spared this kind of despair, he said, The sadness will last forever. I understood what he wanted to say with those words. A few moments later, he felt suffocated, and within one minute, he closed his eyes. A great rest came over him, from which he did not come to life again. In the end, we have to turn to the personal letters and the recollections of people like Adeline Raveau to paint the picture of what happened to Vincent van Gogh. How accurate of a story does that tell? Well, that's for you to decide. This episode of Based on a True Story was written and produced by me, Dan Lefebvre. Now, I know we talked about some very serious subject matter on this episode. As someone who has 
had loved ones impacted by some of the things that we've talked about on this episode, I, I know it's something to take very seriously. I know life is tough at times. But remember, you are loved. Talk to someone. The National Suicide Hotline in the U.S. is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, the movie does a pretty good job of raising some important questions to combat the official story of Vincent's final moments. There was some mistrust of Dr. Gachet. In one of Vincent's letters to Theo, he said Dr. Gachet wasn't to be trusted because he was sicker than Vincent. What did he mean by that? Or there's the Secretan boys that the movie mentions and seems to imply might have had something to do with Vincent's death, possibly even being the ones who shot Vincent. Those are all possibilities. It's a mystery that has haunted generations of art lovers and historians. In the center of it all, Vincent's life has grown to become an example of an artist who suffered during his lifetime. He wasn't rich and famous. Exactly the opposite, in fact. On top of the challenges that come with poverty and struggling to survive, he also suffered from illnesses that simply were not understood by the doctors of his day. Throughout it all, Vincent gifted us with some of the most beautiful paintings the world has ever seen. If you want to learn more about the life of Vincent van Gogh, there's a ton of great resources out there from authors and historians. And so, like I always do here on the show, here are a few recommendations for places to start down that path. The first is a book edited by H. Anna Sue called Van Gogh's Letters, The Mind of the Artist in Paintings, Drawings, and Words, 1875-1890. to The title is pretty self-explanatory about what you can expect from it. If you're looking for more of a biography-style book, there's two recommendations I'd like to make. The first is called Dear Theo by Irving and Jean Stone. The second is called Vincent and Theo by Deborah Heiligman. Okay, now it's time for the answer to our two truths and a lie game from the beginning of the episode. As a refresher, here are the two truths and one lie. Number one, Vincent had more siblings than Theo. Number two, Vincent stopped painting for the last few years of his life. Number three, Vincent claimed to have shot himself. Did you find out which one is a lie? Let's start with number three. As we learned, the generally accepted version of the story would say that this is true. Vincent said he shot himself, so officially his death was ruled as a suicide. Yes, a lot of people have questioned that over the decades, but regardless of what actually happened, as far as we know, he claimed to have shot himself, so number three is true. That brings us to number two. That is the lie. As we learned, Vincent didn't stop painting even when he was at the psychiatric hospital in San Remy. He was even painting a wheat field when he shot himself. And in this way, the movie brings up a great point when it asks the question, what happened to his painting supplies in the field? The canvas, the paints, brushes, etc. If he was painting in the field, but stumbled back to the inn without them, where'd they go? It only adds to the mystery. 
Finally, we have number one, and as I'm reading this, I'm actually realizing the way I phrased that is a little confusing. I said Vincent had more siblings than Theo, but of course, they were brothers, and so they had the same number of siblings since they were brothers. But really what I meant by that statement was that there were more siblings than just Theo, because Theo is the only one that we see in the movie. And as we learned, Vincent and Theo were not the only children in the Van Gogh family. There was also Elizabeth... Anna, Wilhelmine, and Cornelis. Six children total. That brings us to an end of this episode. If you're still listening to this, thank you so much. You are truly one of the super fans of this show, and I would love to hear from you. What do you think of the mystery surrounding Vincent's death? Are there other versions of the story that you think add some answers? Or maybe you noticed something that I missed and want to clarify things a little bit more. The best place to share anything that you'd like to add to the story is in the Based on a True Story Facebook group. Or you can reach out to me directly on Twitter where I'm at Dan Lefeb, D-A-N-L-E-F-E-B. And if social media isn't your thing, you can shoot me a good old-fashioned email at dan at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. Until next time, thanks so much for listening, and I'll chat with you again really soon. <laughs>